This morning, as we continue in our Advent series, we're going to be dealing with this idea of adopting peace. And one of the most popular sayings at Christmas time is, peace on earth, goodwill for men. If you watch Scrooge, for example, the Christmas story, right? That's something that you hear declared all the time. We see it on signs everywhere. On the surface, it's a simple statement, which declares peace to one another. But apart from the whole verse, it actually has little power. And, and we're kind of notorious for doing this, right? Uh, we see this actually on Steph Curry's shoes for the, the Golden State Warriors, where I can do all things, but we don't finish the statement. It says I can do all things through what? Through Christ. We, we hear trite little things like God is love, and we, we push away from the fact that, well, God is love. Love is not God. Or the fact that God is love, and yet God is also wrath, because he is a just God. Well, this idea of peace on earth, goodwill towards men, comes from Luke 2.14. And if we actually take it in its whole context, the verse simply says, and the phrase came from the King James Version, and this is what the King James Version says. It says, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. It was first and foremost about God's glory, and peace was found in the glory of God. And so apart from Christ, we can't have true peace. And so this morning, if you recall, our Advent series is anchored to Galatians 4, which we'll be looking at next week. But it's actually tied to the latter part of this passage, the beginning of Galatians 4, in verses 4 through 7, which says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive redemption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So not only does adoption provide hope in the fulfillment of God's promises, as we saw last week, but it brings peace through God's protection in the midst of spiritual attacks from the enemy. And so my hope for us as we go through this series is twofold. One, if you're still struggling to hold and cling to the Messiah or to believe that Jesus really is the Messiah, my hope is that in this series that you will see the basis and the foundation for Jesus Christ. That he is the fulfillment of all that God has promised. That he is the one who defends against the spiritual attack of an enemy to your soul that so longs to deceive you and that you are heirs in Christ with all the rights and benefits of a true son if you have repented and believed on Jesus. For those who have placed their faith in Christ, my hope is that what you would walk away with is a new and excited view of your adoption in Jesus. It's not just this earthly adoption. 
It's a heavenly adoption that's rooted in the promises of God, in his presence, in his deliverance, in his protection. And then the blessing of being a child of God and what that means. So let's go ahead and read this passage together. We're going to be out of Matthew 1, verses 18 through chapter 2, verses 23. And we're going to look at it a little bit differently because we're going to look at it in chunks. But last week we looked at it in context to Pharaoh's daughter's adoption of Moses as a shadow of what was to come. This week what we're looking at is Joseph's adoption of Jesus. And next week we'll see Jesus' adoption of us. But my hope is that what we see in this this morning is a picture of this adoption that Christ has granted to us through faith. So let's stand as we read this passage together. It's Matthew 1, starting in verse 18, and this is what it says. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to his son, and he called his name Jesus. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what the time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you found them, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star... They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. 
Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation. Rachel, weeping for her children, she refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that the Archaeus was reigning over Judea in the place of his father, Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled that he would be called a Nazarene. Let's pray. Father, as we look at this story centered around your birth, may we see it through Joseph's eyes for a moment. And may we see it through your eyes. Father, I pray that you would take out and move out, God, any distraction this morning that you would bind any work of the enemy to distract, to destroy, to confuse in the name of Jesus. We pray, God, for the power of your grace to overwhelm us this morning, that your spirit, God, would move in and amongst us, and that you'd speak to our hearts. Lord, if we don't know you, May today be the day that we repent and believe on you. And if we do know you, God, may today be a day where we live repenting lives of faith in your confidence and joy and peace and hope. May we have life abundantly in you. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. I'm going to ask just the sound. Can one of you guys pull the, the lights down a little bit? They're doing some funny stuff this morning. And um, if you guys see my face getting really bright for a moment and then getting really dark, that's what I'm experiencing up here a little bit. So, um, so if I look a little more shadowy, we'll go with that for this morning. But uh, that works. One of the things I find is that any time that we talk about God's victory over the enemy, the enemy pushes hard. And this morning, our focus is on the idea that the peace of adoption arises through the Father's protection plan for his people. The peace of adoption arises through the Father's protection plan for his people. Now notice here, It's through the adoption that we have as sons and daughters of Christ and through Christ that our protection is granted to us because Jesus is our protector. Now, God uses this idea of adoption to protect his people and he establishes a protection plan. Now notice in verse 18, here in Matthew 1, he says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. 
When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now, just in a simplistic way, I'll explain being betrothed. So being betrothed was that once a couple had become betrothed, it meant that they lived together, but they did not consummate the marriage. It was in that season of living together, even though amongst all of of the culture, there was this idea of fidelity that took place. And it was that if somebody had gone outside of it, specifically uh, that when the time came for consummation, that if it had been found that the bride had gone outside of this betrothed covenant, that there was shame. The betrothed partner had the ability to say, listen, I want nothing to do with you, and public shame was brought upon her. It was the idea of this binding relationship that was existing, but not to the point of marriage, which was consummated through the sexual relationship between the husband and wife. So you can imagine here, Joseph has just found out that Mary is pregnant. And it says here that he was a just man and unwilling to put her to shame. He resolved to divorce her quietly, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. Now think about this for a second. He's considering these things. He's pondering these things. He's deciding what steps to take next. He doesn't want to shame her, but you can imagine the conundrum that he's in. And an angel of the Lord appears to him and says this, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. Now, what is going through Joseph's mind right now is shame. Shame, loss, misunderstanding. Now, for most, if someone came home pregnant and said, listen, nothing ever happened. It was a God thing. Most of us would laugh the person right out of the place. But isn't it wonderful that the angel, the Lord, appears to Joseph? The defender is not Mary. The defender is God himself. He says, listen, it is a God thing. And so he says here, Mary... Take, do not, or excuse me, Joseph, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this take place to fulfill the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife but knew her not until she had given birth to his son, and he called his name Jesus. He waits. He takes Mary, and he does exactly as God says. And this angel of the Lord, what he tells him is, listen, 
Be at peace for this baby, the Messiah, is from God. Jesus is from God. Be at peace. Fear not. And so what we see first here is this this instruction to be at peace, to fear not. Now notice the names that are given here. Jesus, which means that he will save his people from their sins, or salvation to us is another way to translate that. He's given the name Emmanuel, God with us. The peace that was being given to Joseph was a peace that was being given by God himself. In the one who would bring salvation and who the God is that was among us. What an awesome thing. This Messiah named Jesus, Emmanuel, the one who will save the sins of the world and the God who is among his people. There is reason to be at peace. There is reason to fear not. Well, we know from there that Joseph followed the Lord And he adopts Jesus as his son, his earthly son. In fact, it is through David's line that we know that Jesus then comes as the true fulfillment, the Davidic line. That being adopted by Joseph, he had all of the rights and privileges of Joseph's family. It brings a great thing to bear in our own lives, doesn't it? The truth is, is that when we think about adoption today, what we see externally is whether the children look like the parents. But the truth is, is that the lineage And the race is not the defining component of a child. The defining component of the child is the parent. The beauty of that is you can be from anywhere and look like anything and be different in multiple ways, but you are defined through your parent. And the beauty of that is that we are defined by God himself. That for those who have repented and believed on Jesus as his adopted children, we are defined through Christ. We are identified with Christ. And so Jesus here is identified with Joseph. Now, It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. 
When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Then he goes on down and he says in verse 7, Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you found them, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. We're told here in verse 12, And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they, that is the wise men, departed to their own country by another way. As soon as Christ is identified as the Messiah, the enemy comes looking to destroy him. You see, the second part of this passage deals with the idea that the father's adoption brings peace and protection against the schemes of the enemy. God uses adoption to bring peace and protection against the schemes of the enemy. And what we're going to see here is that Herod is scheming, that the enemy is scheming through Herod. Now, John 8, 44, this is what it says about the devil. It says, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He's speaking to the Pharisees. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. The enemy is a deceiver. Now, The point of creation, the blessing that God gave to Adam and Eve was to be fruitful and multiply. We've seen this story before, haven't we? This story of a ruler who who seeks to destroy the appointed Messiah. We saw it last week in Pharaoh attempting to kill Moses, the deliverer of the Israelites, And now we see it with Pharaoh, who's attempting to kill the deliverer of the world, the deliverer of all nations. In Exodus, we're told that the nation of Israel is referred to as the Son of God. They were to be the nation that declared to all the other nations the glory of God. But it is now in Christ and his indwelling in the life of the believer and his church that his glory is to be seen by the world. God has still appointed a people for his glory, for his purpose. And when we are sons and daughters of Christ, sons and daughters of the Father through Jesus, we are protected from the schemes of the enemy. An enemy that looks to devour your soul. An enemy that looks to preserve self and destroy the God of glory. 
2 Corinthians eleven fourteen says, And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Think about that for a moment. Herod does what? He says, listen, I want to find out where he's going so that I can worship him too. And by worship, what I mean is destroy. I want to kill him. Now notice, Herod has a name here, King of the Jews. Jesus has a name, King of the Jews. Warren Wiersbe says it this way, it's no surprise that Herod tried to kill Jesus, for Herod alone wanted to bear the title King of the Jews. But there was another reason. Herod was not a full-blooded Jew. He was actually an Idumean, a descendant of Esau. This is a picture of the old struggle between Esau and Jacob that began even before the boys were born. It is the spiritual versus the carnal, the godly versus the worldly. Russell Moore goes on to point out that the promised anointed one is a threat to Herod's tyranny. The son of David will receive. God has promised a galactic empire with all his enemies under his feet. Herod protects his position through infanticide. He orders all the male children under two in the region of Bethlehem, the prophesied location of Davidic king's birth, to be executed by royal decree. The blessing of all blessings, the coming of Christ, is seen by Herod in starkly personal terms. If there was an occupant on David's throne, it meant Herod wouldn't be king of the Jews anymore. And that just couldn't be. So he lashed out in murderous rage. When it's Jesus versus the self, babies are caught in the crossfire. You see, what happens in this passage and in this adoption is that in this attempt to bring destruction, we know that Herod's full intent is murderous because when he finds out that he's tricked in verse 16 through 18, it says that Herod takes this declaration and he kills all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Here's the point. Whenever Christ confronts the self and the self desires to win, it will lead to destruction. For you personally, the enemy is working on your behalf and on our behalf to bring destruction to confuse us, to dissuade us, to mislead us, to believe that God has said something when he hasn't. And it's all for the preservation of self. I like what one pastor put. He said, when a nation turns its face from God, it rages against its babies. We see it with Pharaoh towards Moses. We see it with Herod towards Jesus. We see it in a culture today that is permeated by this idea of convenience and choice and timing, no longer seeing a child as a blessing, but as a burden, unless it's in the time that we desire. You know that for years, Planned Parenthood's mantra at Christmas time, their fundraiser, that they sent out was a Christmas card 
that says not peace on earth, but says choice on earth. It is a direct rebuttal against the Christ child. It is a direct rebuttal against Jesus. If that doesn't tell who their fight is with, what will? They may not even realize it, but when they put that kind of stuff out, know that the enemy is working on behalf in that way. But here's the beauty of adoption. This adoption that Joseph has over Jesus is protecting him against this spiritual warfare. And we too have the same protection under the Father through Jesus. In 1 Peter 5, 6 through 10, it says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. That's not a passive enemy. That's not an enemy that's just kind of sitting back going, Hey, whatever happens, I'll deal with him tomorrow. That's an enemy who says, listen, he's got a weakness today, I'm in. I'm aggressive. Verse 9 goes on, resist him firm in your faith, knowing the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace who's called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Hebrews 2, 14 through 15 says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, that is Jesus, likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. This protection from spiritual warfare underneath Jesus, under the 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 guise of Jesus, meaning that Jesus has indwelled us and we are seen as sons of the Father, is a protection that moves us away and out of the power of the, 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 the schemes of the enemy. It should be freeing for us. This is good news that God uses adoption to strike down the schemes of the enemy. Now, there's two important elements of this peace and protection. The first is that it's experienced in obedience. It's experienced in obedience. Notice, Joseph here, when it says in verse 13, Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. Joseph didn't delay. The peace that comes in the protection of God is one that comes through obedience. You and I were never designed to be walking in disobedience and experience God's peace. It wasn't to happen. God will not give you peace in your sin. If you are sinning and you are at peace, you have silenced the voice of God in your life. But you have a God who desires for you to turn and to repent. But here's the beauty of it. The beauty of it is is when I walk in obedience with Jesus in the midst of spiritual warfare, 
Because what he's not saying is he's removing it from us. He's simply protecting us in it. And so when I walk with God in spiritual warfare, in a spiritual attack of the enemy, and I'm walking in his obedience according to his word and according to his leading, then I have confidence that I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be and that in due time, God will deliver as needed. Too often what happens is we get in those moments and we get distracted and we move away from God rather than towards him. That's why James 5 tells us, submit therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. We need to be a people who are marked by this obedience. And God's peace comes when we walk in obedience. This week, I was wrestling with some health things. It scared me, being really, really honest. Scared in a way that I haven't been scared in a long time. And it was consuming. It consumed me. I couldn't think about anything else. I was overwhelmed with it. It was all that was on my mind. I went through every scenario possible. And I remember I just broke down and I was crying to God, what in the world? And he's like, what are my promises to you? My promise to you of do not be anxious, but by prayer and supplication. Bring it to him with thanksgiving. Ah. And it was amazing. All day, I had to keep coming back to, instead of thinking about this, pray about it. Put it before the Lord. Trust him. And it was amazing that as I stayed on him in those things, his peace would overwhelm me. But the moment I moved off of them, the moment I walked in disobedience was the moment that anxiousness rose right back up. It wasn't a denial. It was simply, who was I talking to as my Lord? Was I talking to the God of creation as my Lord? Or was I talking to myself who could do nothing about it? Our peace is found in the God of creation if we are sons and daughters of him. Ephesians 6, 11 instructs us, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Romans 16, 70 to 20 goes on, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all. So that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. What awesome news that through obedience, that through obedience, God of peace crushes Satan. We would expect God to say something like, the God of creation the God all-powerful and mighty one. But what does he say? He says the God of peace will crush Satan. Why? Because it is through the crushing of peace, excuse me, the crushing of Satan that peace 
that peace then becomes the norm. And so we put our faith, not in the circumstances, but we put our faith in this God who has adopted us as his children and guaranteed us those rights. It is the picture of the child running to his father. The second element that's important in this, the first is that it's experienced in obedience. The second one is that it believes in God's sovereign character to fulfill his plans for redemptive purposes. It believes in God's sovereign character to fulfill his plans for redemptive purposes. You see, as we look at things out of context, we hear verses like, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Now that verse is often shortened. You know, God works all things out together for good. Not if you're his children. Excuse me, not if you're not his children. If you are his children, he works it for good. But if you are not his children, make no bones about it. He's actually working it towards your wrath. Towards your destruction. Why? Because we know from Revelation that it is in the hope of your destruction that you might come to know Jesus. There is no redemptive value in a lost person's suffering except the hope that they might turn to Jesus for their salvation. As believers, we need to be careful with this, this passage. We need to share it in its entirety. We also need to recognize that if you have put your faith in Christ and you are a child of God, but you are in rebellion, the word here is for those that love him. God is still working to bring destruction upon you till you turn and repent. He's bringing his discipline against you. Because that's what a good father does, right? That's what we're told, that like a good father, he disciplines his children so that the behavior might be changed and turned. But the beauty of this is that when we seek the Lord and believe that he has redemptive purposes, then that means that whatever I'm going through today as I walk in obedience, no matter how hard, how difficult, how uncomfortable, how fearful it may make me, how frustrated or angry it may feel, how unfair or how betrayed that as I walk in obedience, I can trust that God is using this for his redemptive good in your life and in the lives of others. That's what he's saying. That's peace. That's peace. That your suffering in this life as a child of God is not wasted. I want you to ask yourself something. Are you a complainer? Are you a grumbler? God wants you to have his peace. God wants you to rest in his sovereignty. 
and to not look out and see everything that is wrong with others or the situation, but to say, God, what are you teaching me now? What are you doing inside of me? Where is it that you would like me to believe more in your sovereign character? It's a hard one, isn't it? Jeremiah 29, 7 through 14 says this, But seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent into exile. That passage, for I know the plans that I have for you. That was a plan for God's people. It was actually the story of restoration from exile into freedom. And he says, seek the welfare of the city. That's easily lost on that. God has a plan for your life. He does. But his plan for your life is not apart from obedience in him. And the peace that you experience will not come without obedience. But as you walk in that obedience, you will have his peace, knowing that in his sovereign will, he is working it out for your good and for the good of others, ultimately his name. Well, finally, we see here in the latter part of this passage in verses 19 through 23, that Joseph and the family return And they return from Egypt into Israel. Now the reason that we can trust in God's sovereign character is because we watched him in these passages five times fulfill the prophecy. Even in the moments through the killing of the babies in Bethlehem, God's sovereign plan was working. God took what was meant for evil and made it good. Well, at the beginning of this passage, what we see is that Jesus' name, or excuse me, the Messiah's name is Jesus and Emmanuel. At the end of this passage, it says that when they came in to Israel, we're told that Joseph was afraid to go back to Bethlehem, and being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a city called Nazareth so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. We went from the God of salvation who saves, who is amongst us, to now being identified in his humanity. 
You see, peace is found not only in Christ's deity and the fact that he is 100% God, but it is found in also in his humanity, that he's also 100% human. You have a God who does not stand above. We have a God who does not stand at a distance and look down on a distant children. But rather, we have a God who is personal and amongst and with us. But more than that, we're told in Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We have a Savior who's been there. We have a Savior who has experienced pain in this life. We have a Savior that's experienced rejection in this life. We have a Savior who has experienced betrayal in this life. We have a, a Savior who has experienced physical ailment in this life. We have a Savior who has experienced sorrow. Our faith isn't just in the fact that he is God, but our faith is also in the fact that he was human, that he has come and we can completely and utterly relate with this Savior. He is not a distant God who stands back and says, yeah, I got no idea what you're going through. But he is a God who says, I've been through it. And in the same way, that the Father carried me through it, I'm carrying you. May his peace in our lives be experienced through the adoption that we have as children and sons of God. And may that peace be displayed in our lives, both personally and in the world around us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this story the true story of your son's birth. And we thank you for the adoption that was granted by Joseph. But more importantly, the adoption that you gave us. Thank you for displaying your grace through this adoption. That we have protection from the schemes of the enemy. The one who desires to devour you and all of your redemptive purposes. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that we have victory in Jesus. Thank you that it is Jesus that will hold us, that protects us as a good father. Thank you, God, that it is through Jesus that we are counted as your sons and daughters. Lord, as we ready our heart for communion this morning, may it be this joy, this peace that we have that is found only in Jesus. And may we rejoice over the adoption that we have as your children, being protected by the enemy who dukes to devour our soul. May you strengthen us, God, to hold fast 
May you strengthen us to resist the enemy. And God, may we draw near to you as your word says. And we ask these things in your name. Amen.